Welcome to Astrology and Stuff, where we try to talk about serious subjects without taking ourselves too seriously. I'm your host and sacred clown, Sampriti. Thank you for being here. Welcome, friends, to episode four. And maybe, just maybe, we'll get through another two astrological signs. <laughs> Wasn't that funny last week how I thought that I was going to get through at least six signs and it was an hour and 15 minutes later? Yeah, not so much. Um, self-awareness uh, as far as coverage of information and time management, not really a thing for me. Uh, it's getting better, though. But um, if you have, if this is your first time listening to an episode of astrology and stuff, I would highly suggest you going back and starting at episode number one. Um, But if you don't want to do that, at least uh, listen to episode number three first before you dive into this one, uh, because that really, episode three last week really sets up the signs and what they are. We covered... Uh, natal charts and kind of intro into astro, the whys and the wherefores in episode one. Episode two, we covered the houses. Um, And episode three and this episode four and probably another two episodes uh, coming up, we're going to be covering the signs. And so a little bit of 101 is that the signs are the way that I experience the signs the way that I teach the signs is that they are archetypes. They are collections and categorizations of energy. Um, Energy meaning just information, stuff that becomes matter. (laughs) And we're, we're, there's nothing that is material that is not also um, a pattern of some kind. Um, we all have relationships geometrically, mathematically, quantumly, um, and and uh, the the archetypes of the signs are simply uh, ways of expressing and categorize, identifying and categorizing, kind of these twelve major ways of how that energy expresses of itself into matter. No big deal, right? <laughs> Just a, a lighthearted talk about um, materialization. <laughs> so, so we ended on Taurus last week, so let's not waste any time in any more intro, um, and let's dive into what's next. Gemini. Gemini's next. Aries is the first sign of the zodiac. It's a cardinal fire sign. And again, last week we did cover what, why are we talking elements? You know, what's the significance of the qualities, i.e. cardinal, fixed, and mutable? Went really hardcore into explanations of those particular vocabulary words for astrology last week. So go bone up, go listen to that if you're having questions already. Um, Gemini, so, uh, excuse me, Aries is cardinal fire. That's the first sign. The second sign is, uh, fixed earth Taurus. And then the third sign is mutable air Gemini. Okay. So already we have come full, we, we are completing a cycle of quality. 
meaning cardinal, fixed, mutable. These three qualities show up in each season. Uh, Gemini is a mutable air sign, and it finishes up as every mutable sign is tasked with um, finishing up a season. And Gemini is finishing up the season of spring. Aries heralds in the new spring season, the new evolutionary cycle. Taurus sits and dwells and discovers the, the magic of being inside of the season of spring. And then Gemini is here to wrap things up. Okay. So I'll be completely honest. I, uh, I'm still, um, getting comfortable with, (laughs) I'm still getting new information and comfortable and trying to get comfortable and settled with Gemini as a mutable sign. Okay. And I know I'm going to get there and I'll probably get there a lot here in this conversation with you. Um, but I'd like to first focus on Gemini as an air sign, the element of air, uh, because Gemini issues in the first time that we experience the element of air, just like Aries is the first time we experience fire. Uh, Taurus is the first time we experience earth. Gemini is the first time we experience air. And then next sign, cancer is going to be the first time we experience water. So these, this is a primary, um, you know, quartet of, of signs as far as like elemental introduction, our, you know, first foray into these elements. And as such, these first four elements are hugely self-identifying. Like they're responsible for our, our primary modes of self-identification. And if Aries is responsible for that as a fire sign on just the most fundamental level, it's the, the, the job of Aries and the first house that, you know, Aries naturally, um, rules in our natal chart to self, to identify as self. Okay. Who am I? Where, where am I? What the fuck am I doing here? Um, that kind of mentality and Aries, or excuse me, and Taurus as the initial earth sign, it's all about a self-identifying with the earth element of, earth being our materia, our bodies, our, the world, the natural world around us, our natural talents and resources, what we landed in this life with that, you know, nobody gave to us. We just have natural resources. Gemini introduces us and, and and encourage us to demands that we self-identify through the element of air and this happens in our human, this happens through our mentation, our mental body, mental bodies, um, how we, at its most fundamental level, it's how we receive information, how we process information, and then how we communicate information. That is, that is Gemini as the primary, the, the, the initial air element. Now, the importance of this is, or the, the result of this relationship that we have to information is that we then formulate our 
programmed reality based on that information. So picture, picture your brain as, as a projector, okay? Um, and the brain is a receiver. The mind is a, it's, it's a receiver of information. If, if you want to get into the fundamentals and whys and wherefores of human design, that is, that's really the study of, it's many things, one of which is the study of how to put the mind and the brain in its right place and receiving a, a much happier and healthier life because of it. Because we, in this culture, in this generation, in this society, um, we our world is based on a reality that the mind rules all and that the mind actually does way more than it was ever meant to. Okay. That's why we all have anxiety and we all have depression and we all are overstimulated, um, et cetera, et cetera. The, it's because we have demanded so much of our minds specifically around decision-making. Now there are, there, there, there are a few people walking around. They're meant to make decisions with, you know, from the mental space. They're very, they're called mental projectors in human design and, and they're very special that way. And there's a few others that, that do things kind of in that vein. But for the vast majority, vast majority of us, our minds are not meant to make our decisions. We're not meant to make decisions from the mental realm. The getting back to Gemini and, and, you know, air, is when we receive that the brain is the mind is a receiver the brain is a receiver literally like if you think about like an antenna a literal receiver of information um, and then based on that information uh, we start to process it and it gets projected if you want to think about your brain being a projector and the lens of that projector is like our third eye. It's right there in our, in our forehead and it's projecting whatever that information and, and processing of that information out onto a screen that is in front of us that actually just happens to be our reality, our environment. And that movie is, is playing, the movies that are playing, uh, the images that are being projected out onto the matrix of our reality are contingent on a what information is being fed into the receiver and b what information what other information is that new information interacting with inside of the processor of our brain i.e. what what baggage are we hauling around as far as like ideas of what reality is that this new information comes into contact with and it's, it's like, um, chances are it, that new information, the more that it kind of bumps up against the very, um, the, the rooted, like locked in, uh, judgments and opinions that we already have inside of that processor already, chances are it's just going to confirm, it's going to continue to confirm that reality. And therefore that's why you get, uh, that's why you get, um, so a little example, um, I want a Subaru. Okay. I'm, I'm in the market for a new car finally. Um, and I want a Subaru and all I'm seeing when I'm driving around in the, in the city now are Subarus. Like 
if there's a Subaru, it's going to show up because it's, I've got it plugged in. I've got, I, I'm pointing my attention to Subaru, whether it's consciously or unconsciously or both. Um, and that is what's showing up for me. Um, a, a kind of a less comfortable, less neutral <laughs> feeling example of this is, you know, just how your mom treats you, you know, what you have been programmed to believe that a conversation with your mom is going to go or your dad or, you know, another figure who's been in your life and you have a lot of, of baggage with, um, you just, they, you see them calling on the phone and you're like, <laughs> Nick Kroll has this great bit, um, in his latest stand up where, you know, this, this person who like de- devoted so much of their life's energy to you is calling. And 100% of the time you just look at the phone, and you're like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> and that may not be your experience, but you all of it, that may not be your experience with your mom, but every one of us has somebody in our lives that that's our experience with. Well, why is that? Because we have it programmed into our, our nervous system, which informs our brain and vice versa, that this person is calling. We haven't gotten into the conversation yet, but we already know how it's going to go. Or we know we're pre-programmed with how we're going to feel during that conversation. And Gemini, bringing it back astrologically, Gemini is that phenomenon. It, or it's the archetype that rules and contains that phenomenon of internal uh, informa- processed information, banked information, creating uh, an external experience and, and recreating and reconfirming an external experience. Now, we haven't zodiacally, archetypally, um, I'm not sure if that's a word, uh, developmentally, more crucially, we have not approached the ego yet. Up until we get to cancer, it's just a big soup, right? Aries, Taurus, and Gemini, we're just a big soup with everything else. We're just happy to be here. And there is not really an, uh, an ingrained sense of self. It's just, we're swimming in the soup. Like, oh my God, look, I'm, I'm made material now. Everything else is material around me. That's so exciting. And Gemini is that approach from the, the informational, uh, uh, aspect of things. Like Aries just wants to, you know, get out there and, and self-identify and fuck and, and just be. And Taurus, um, also likes to fuck, but it's, you know, it's less from a, I need to promote my species more from, more from a place of like, Ooh, this feels good. Sensuality. This is my body. Um, rubbing up against other things, whether it's eating or seeing or hearing or smelling or feeling or tasting, um, it's, it's, it's essential. It's reminding, or it's telling me what my body is doing. And my body is talking to me through these senses and Ooh, that's nice. So that's our relationship to information in Gemini. Gemini gets turned on and turned up 
buy information. It wants to consume all of the information because that is how Gemini is interacting with the world uh, within and without, but kind of mostly without. And Gemini does go through cycles. Um, I don't hear a lot of astrologers talk about this aspect. Jeffrey Wolf Green, who wrote like all of the primary books on evolutionary astrology, he does talk about this um, a lot, ad nauseum, <laughs> a lot about Gemini, how Gemini has these cycles of um, going out and getting it because it is an air sign. Therefore, we learned last time that air signs are of a masculine, penetrative, expansive Man, that's those are their qualities. It's a masculine sign, just like fire signs, and the feminine signs are um, energetically, not humanly feminine. Um, those signs are earth and water signs. But as an air sign, Gemini has this function of like beep 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 beep, beep just like putting out the radar for the information, looking, reading all the books, um, going through the feeds listening to all the podcasts, just obsessed, obsessed, just turned on by, through the sheer act of interacting with new information. Okay. And then there's this other part of the cycle, you know, that was the, that was the flow. Here we come into the ebb where Gemini is, is just bringing it into itself. And this is one of the things that I'm still continuing to build understanding about Gemini and I'm kind of reaching the limit of being able to communicate this understanding about this cycle within Gemini. Um, it's not necessarily digestion. Like Gemini is is meant to receive, 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 eat, 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 eat. Honestly, Virgo, and when we get to Virgo, we'll talk deeply about this, of course. Virgo is meant to be the digestion and the elimination, um, the filtration of that information. Um, and, but I think part of that digestion, part of it, like the first part of it begins in Gemini, um, and a, like a physical, uh, a physical metaphor for this would be you eat with your mouth and you know, your digestion, the digestion of the food or the, the beverage actually begins in the mouth by the salivary glands producing enzymes, including amylase. And di the food begins as it, as it comes into contact with the saliva in the mouth, it actually starts the digestion process. But like the lion's share of the digestion happens in the, the breakdown happens in the stomach and the actual like metabolization, the, the, the absorption rather happens in, you know, the small intestine and the large intestine. And, and so like the gut part of that is definitely Virgo, but maybe the mouth part is Gemini, um, where you go, you, we've all been there. You've, you've, maybe you're in the middle of it now because you're listening to a freak talk about, uh, astrology for over an hour at a time. And you're in that space of like information. I need the information. I need the information. Um, this is such a turn on. I can't, I can't get enough. And, you're listening to all the podcasts and you're reading all the books and you're journaling and, and you probably got some Gemini placements. Um, and, and then you have these like cycles of like thinking about it. It's the, well, maybe that's it. It's the, the processing. Like we, 
um, going back to the beginning of Gemini, we have the receiving of the information and then we have the processing of the information and then the communication of the information. Maybe the flow part is the actual, like when we're going out to get it, is the receiving of it, you know, it comes in. But the, the processing, we develop vocabulary around it and we allow that vocabulary to identify um, and then so that we are then able to communicate and kind of spit back out into the world how that information allowed for identification. Maybe that's the kind of pre-digestion part. Um, or am I just like really trying to work a metaphor? Uh, but as, as you can hear, I'm working this through, I'm using my own Gemini capabilities to really kind of work this through as well. Because the, um, the identification part is absolutely crucial. Um, words don't mean shit until we give them meaning. And that's how Gemini world builds. Because if you walk into a room, like pretend you've never seen a chair before. Um, oh wait, I've got something better. I just posted the, or reposted this on my stories in Instagram a couple of days ago. I honestly, I have not done the research on my own. I've not done the due diligence to kind of corroborate what this guy was saying, but there's this thing where, um, that ancient Greeks like Homer, uh, Virgil, those types, uh, that, oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, my cat just tried to erase my, uh, erase the entire episode. Um, <laughs> hi, Kramer. Um, ancient Greeks did not see blue. And as crazy as that, as ridiculous and crazy and like flat, earthy as that sounds, um, he kept going and he kept talking about how the word for blue, there was no word for blue in many, many of these, not just, um, like, uh, um, the, the type of ancient Greek that, you know, Homer would write in, but all of the dialects, um, there are other languages like concurrent, uh, languages that were being written in and, and being communicated in that we have record of that did not contain the the word blue. And I forget if it's Homer or Virgil described the ocean as the, the wine colored ocean. And it, what the point, the whole point was, is the importance of vocabulary to reality and how it kind of posits like, hey, if you didn't grow up with a word for something, would that something exist for you? And if this were, this is a big if, if this were true, actually, if this were, we had some way of proving that this was true, that ancient Greeks did not see the color blue, that's, that is like, that is all Gemini. That is all Gemini. Um, initially I use the, I, when I'm talking about Gemini to a client, I usually use like, if you didn't, if you've never seen a chair before and you walk into a room and you see this thing and 
then you learn that it is the word for it is chair. Then you learn probably right after that what it does. It has a function. Oh, this is a chair. You sit in it. It supports you. You have now formulated a new piece of your reality. And your rea- the matrix of your reality is forever changed. And so Gemini's job is to come into contact with as much pieces of information so that it can continue to create that reality that we process, we, so that we can continue to create that reality, be in relationship with reality via identification. Does that make sense? Yeah. Of course, I have a lot of words about the wordiest sign in the Zodiac, Gemini. <laughs> so we deepen that experience with our, our reality via communication. It's not just like thinking and overthinking and ruminating and all of that. That's very Virgo. But, but Gemini like just wants to talk about shit. Gemini wants to think about shit, mostly wants to talk about shit so that it can continue to world build through words. Very cool, huh? So the mutability um, of this is, you know, letting go of the season of spring. We're letting go. Okay, I guess I came into it. Maybe, Maybe this sticks. The mutability is the letting go of the not having an ego anymore. Like this was our kind of final... Um, layer into interacting with this big soup of of everything being everything else, and once we reach that that um, place of being able to identify via information and create our world and create very specific realities, I think it would make sense. It, at least it does to me today. That the next step would be one that creates the self, the sense of self. Because especially from like Aries to Gemini or Aries to Gemini moving into Cancer, things, there's just a lot more information. There's a lot more nuance. There's a lot more detail that has been created. Um, Yeah. So I, I will... I'll put the pin. Oh, let's talk about uh, planets and house placements. <laughs> Every time I'm ready to move on to the next sign, it's like, nope, you need to talk about the planet and the house placements. So um, let's talk about uh, house placement first. Gemini rules the third house. So if you have anything in your third house, if you have things in in the houses that kind of square off with the third house, you're, you're but mostly if you have planets, planetary bodies, luminaries in your third house, um, you're going to, these are the, the embodiments of the archetypes, i.e. the planets are embodiments of the archetypes, i.e. the signs. These are embodiments of the archetypes that are going to show up and play through your, the area of your life that holds this relationship to information, i.e., your mental space, um, your communicative space, uh, the parts of you that receive information, process information, and communicate that information. Um, I personally do not have any uh, any planets in my third 
uh, house. But I've got a Mercury in, at my midheaven. Um, so Mercury is the planet, of course, uh, of Gemini, the planetary ruler of Gemini, and therefore the fundamental ruler of, of the third house. And, um, and Mercury is the embodiment as the planet. It's the embodiment of this whole process of receiving information. Stay off my laptop, Kramer. Uh, receiving information, processing information, communicating information. And having it at my midheaven means that I'm in, uh, in my, my processing of like the evolution that happens in my life in the most public way involves speaking, involves thinking, involves my intellect, also involves like th- how I handle my intellect and my mental health. Um, because I have a Mercury in Pisces, uh, there's, there's a, not a lot of boundaries there. There's, there's access to everything like, and this is not an egoic statement, but I, as somebody who has a Mercury in Pisces, there is a part of me, I don't lead with this part, but there is definitely a part of me that is like, yeah, if I needed it bad enough, I would have, I would be able to find, I would have access to any information, any information. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's very Mercury and Pisces. Um, we're able to talk about, think about and talk about things that are huge and boundless and honestly try our best to bring it into a, a confined and contained form um, as you have uh, experienced over the last couple of episodes. Um, I'm not very good at being succinct. I'm very good at painting a picture and I'm very good at bringing the information through, not necessarily every time succinct sentences and words, but vibes, right? You get, especially when I'm in front of somebody, they get what I'm putting down, whether, and I could, I could say it three different ways to three different people and those three different people would be getting what I'm putting down. You know, that's, that is Pisces, um, Mercury and Pisces rather. So question for you, where is, where does Gemini show up in your chart? Where does Gemini show up in your chart? Where does Mercury show up in your chart? Who's in, who's rattling around in your third house? Go do some homework with that. Um, that's Gemini, mutable air sign, third sign of the zodiac. And then we move into cancer. Cancer is the first water sign of the zodiac. It is cardinal water, just like um, uh, Aries is cardinal fire. It begins the season of spring. Cancer is cardinal water. It begins the season of summer. Okay. And Developmentally, cancer is our initiation because it's an initiation into water. It's the first water sign. It's our initiation into the inner emotional realm. Functionally speaking, cancer is where we develop an ego and that ego um, is... We, we can't, 
we can't do anything else without this ego. This ego is this beautiful membrane that creates a self, a capital S self. It creates an inner world. It is a membrane that separates us from the rest of the material world, okay? We cannot have an experience of internalization. We cannot have an experience of an inner world. We cannot have any further development without an ego. Ego, death, ego, eradication, um, ego work. It's getting, for the past hundred years, it's, it's gotten, it, it's come through so many iterations. <laughs> and um, as we journey through psychology and, and et cetera, um, ego death is a very, can be a very real thing. It's also called, um, you know, total breakdown and existential crisis. And, um, and it's where we lose our sense of self on, uh, and there's a whole spectrum of, of what that, that is. You could, you could take, you know, a macro dose of mushrooms and experience a level of, I wouldn't call it ego death. I would call it, you put your ego up on the shelf for a minute, knowing that when you come out of the psychedelic experience, you can just take it off the, it's going to come back to you. You're, you're going to be reframed within this con context of the ego of yourself, but necessarily to the, the, the macro dose of the psychedelics necessary to the therapy that you're looking for that in there. Um, oh, and by the way, I, I'm not a doctor. I used to be a nurse, but I'm not a doctor and I'm definitely not your doctor. I'm not your therapist. I'm not your, um, physician. Um, I'm talking about these purely for entertainment value. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, anyway, the, there's a whole spectrum of, of ego death. And honestly, I would argue, uh, just for the here and now that it's impossible to eradicate the ego entirely while still being alive as a human. Um, I don't think that we, I think the ego is, is as real it's a, as, as functional, it's as much of a structure as our bones are, you know? Um, whereas, you know, our bones and our skin, they, they identify the boundary between us and them physically. The ego is the boundary that identifies us between us and them um, emotionally, other than physically. So as long as you're in a body, I would argue... You've got, no matter how melted you feel or, or how much, you know, you have experienced nirvana, um, you, you are, you're still here. You're still here. So there's still some semblance of you. Now, ego death is like a function of people going after it, thinking, uh, believing that it's going to be good for them. Um, I'm not going to say a whole lot of it because everybody's different. Everybody's got to do what they feel like they got to do. I personally don't recommend it. I don't, um, I don't think it's helpful to completely eradicate 
your sense of self. Um, as somebody who's got like kids and a job and, and is engaging in life at this point, um, I need to be able to be functional. It's impossible. Anybody who has gone through a psychotic break, anybody who has danced with schizophrenia and, um, and really, really, um, demanding mental health, states of mental health, we'll call it, um, knows that you, you can't get shit done when you are having a, an existential egoic crisis, um, a psychotic break. You, you, you just can't get shit done. So, and, so, and it's not necessarily that we're here only to get shit done. By, doing that, by saying that, I'm meaning life, living a life, interacting with relationships, learning lessons, um, making things, creating things, reiterating, propagate, breathing, what have you. It's all of that is really hard to do when you're ha- when you're inside of a psychotic break, i.e., a, a, a dramatic ego death. So I say all of this to illust- further illustrate that the that the ego is a very good thing when it is, when we view it and when we utilize it functionally if for its function, it's, it's here to give us an internal experience. Now, when we let it lead the way, when we let it, and as a cancer rising, I can do this very well. <laughs> um, when I let my ego make decisions for me, when I let my ego uh, decide if I am safe or not in a situation. Uh, if I let my ego decide when I'm done with a project or, or if I'm even going to put a project, is this, is this project good enough? Um, is this art good enough, et cetera, et cetera. When I attach that, there's the word, when I attach everything to my ego and to satisfying my ego, that's when things get wonky. That's when things just get out of balance because the ego is not meant to, 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 uh, hold that function in our lives, right? Though all of those jobs that I just, um, talked about, those are done by many different areas are meant to be done by many different areas of, of us. And the ego is simply meant to give us an experience of me, of us. Um, and the, it does that. So what naturally arises with the, within cancer as the formation of the ego is happening is the inner self. We would also call that the emotional self. So what is the drive of cancer? We've created a self. We've created an inner self. Very good. What, why? What, why, what do we want to do with this? To gain an, um, a greater idea and greater practice, greater experience of emotional internal authority. Okay, so we create the ego to create a sense of self. And so when you are, you're suddenly a self, there's an other, and we're going to get this into this, um, much more deeply context wise in the next cardinal sign Libra. 
but this has to happen. Even relationship, inner and outer, has to happen first inner. Um, and that's that happens in cancer, where we've created the ego. Suddenly there's an inside. That means there's an outside. So what is going to get the authority? Cancer is here. The first water sign is here um, to bring us into the realm of emotions so that we may practice emotional authority. Aries, the first cardinal sign, is here to teach us um, or is to help us practice self-agency, okay? I'm, I want to move my body over there, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to point my body in a particular or point my fire in a particular direction, and I'm going to fucking go there. And if you get in my way, uh, if, I in, if I encounter uh, a resistance or an obstacle, I'm going to feel frustrated, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my life force continuing to move in that area, you know, in that direction, that self-agency. I point in the direction that I want to go. Cancer, cardinal water, is how that kind of life force gets um, deepened and, and um, delivers nuance to that self-agency via the emotions. Okay. Suddenly I feel, suddenly I feel Aries as I am. Cancer is, oh, I feel, oh my gosh. And we can't feel without the ego. We can't feel, we can't internalize if there's no barrier between external and and internal. There is no internal without that barrier. So the job of cancer and our work within cancer is that of finding the authority inside of us so that we can, and what that is, is it's many things, but one of the things is that it's, it's a continued evolved expression of self-agency, Aries self-agency. It evolves into an internal place of like, oh, this is how I feel about that. Um, am I going to, and it's just another iteration of, 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 of power really of, am I externalizing my validation or am I, am I, um, am I being my own biggest cheerleader? Am I my first cheerleader or am I waiting on external validation, somebody else's emotions or somebody else to elicit emotions within me that I can feel either, yeah, safe in this relationship, safe in this, this venture, um, validated enough to continue to iterate, or am I going to give that to myself first? Am I going to go to myself for that validation before I go outside of myself for that validation? And shit, as a cancer rising, like this just never ends. This lesson just never, it's always there. It's always present. And it's a fucking superpower. Cancer is, it, cancer is here to teach us the superpower of vulnerability because the authority, the first time that we encounter authority is in cancer. Um, it's internal authority. It's not earth it's not metal, it's not rigid, it's not fire, and it's not air. It's water. It's the authority 
of the wisdom of water. Water holds, as the wisdom keeper, water holds all, just all of the information. We, we, can, we can kind of time hop in our, it's timeless. It's, it, in my opinion, water, the water signs, the element of water within the, you know, zodiac, with, within the concept of, of astrology, it carries everything. It's um, when we, and that's why um, the sign of cancer, the fourth house, which is ruled by cancer, the moon, which is the um, luminary that rules cancer, we gain access, especially in the, like the fourth house, we are gaining access to our roots. We, it is the house through which we can gain access to our ancestry. Um, it's that it's our, it's the water in our blood. It is the information in our blood as beings who have embodied, um, yes, souls in bodies, but these bodies are already carrying a lot of information and it's wisdom. So ancestral wisdom, that's very Cancerian. Um, and if you want to, if we want to, utilize that access to inform the primary objective in cancer is we don't, there's a huge part of, um, developing emotional self-reliance, internal self-reliance via, uh, a, a huge part of that is knowing where we've come from, having context, having perspective, gaining access to the parts of us that have always been here. They're here to, to help us feel rooted in this space. And we can't feel rooted in this, or we can't gain uh, self-trust, internal self-trust, emotional self-reliance without our roots. Um, believe me, as somebody who's like, <laughs> like for my whole life, it's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I think on, on some unconscious level, I was just bebopping around like, oh, I don't have ancestors. No, I just, yeah, I didn't grow up really around, um, past the age of, of six, I didn't grow up around grandparents. Um, I had to be up, I was uprooted literally, <laughs> kind of literally from my, my childhood home and from my ancestral home for the past four generations. I was fourth generation Southern California. And when I was eight, we had to move out here to North Carolina, we had to get as far away from California as possible and, um, just kind of started a bubble of a life for very necessary reasons. And so as a result, I just think I, um, and I was cut off from my paternal line very, very young. Um, but as a result, I just kind of like bebopped through my, initiation into, you know, greater self-awareness and spirituality and, and discovering things about myself, right. That did not include my ancestry. That did not include ancestors that did not include my lineages because I didn't feel connected to them. I wasn't offered, I didn't grow up with that. And so you just kind of bebop through life. Like, Oh, I don't have ancestors. And then bam, you're like, fuck. Uh, yeah, I do. This is a part of myself. And and my gosh, the emotional comfort that just kind of diving into that, that part of my, myself, um, finding my roots, 
uh, is it's so comforting. It's so comforting. It's, it's, it, I did not realize personally just how many pieces of myself that I would pick up and put, put back in me, how much more whole I would feel once I just kind of allowed this awareness to, to seep into my reality and to my practice. So this is cancer. This is, um, cancer's the mother of the Zodiac. Uh, we have the mother and the father, uh, cancer's polarity partner, Capricorn is the father, the, (laughs) this is, I see this everywhere. The sky daddy (laughs) of, of the Zodiac cancer's the mother. Um, so, um, folks with heavy duty cancer in your, in, in the chart, the mothering aspect, uh, is going to feature heavily in your, in your incarnation, whether that is your relationship, uh, to your own mother, whether that is your relationship to, you know, any human children that you have because you are a mother, or whether that is your relationship to any element of mothering, okay? I.e., you may not have human children, you may not even have fur babies, but you're never not creating, and therefore you're never not seeking to nurture and nourish. Cancer and Capricorn are where we reparent ourselves. Cancer is where we remother ourselves. Cancer is where we figure out that nobody's got our back the way that we've got our back. Um, I, I teach and experience cancer deeply, deeply as the initiation into unconditional self-love and unconditional self-acceptance, like on a fundamental level. I've referred to, to Pisces with those, um, that terminology a lot, but it's start, honestly, it starts in cancer. Um, cause cancer is going to teach you, uh, cancer's salty enough to teach you like, you know, you really fucked up back there. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, but I still love you, but you really fucked up back there. I just need you to know you really fucked up back there, but I still love you. Doesn't mean you, you don't deserve love. It just means you fucked up. Now go fix it. <laughs> That's like, it's, it's that emotional like when you are able to be that real with yourself, there's nothing, there's no, no situation in which that you will not have your back and meaning have your back on not going all the way in one, letting the pendulum swing all the way in one direction or the other. One side, one direction is, oh my God, you fucked up. You are bad. You're a bad person. You don't deserve to be here. How could you fuck up? It's, you know, only bad people do that and you're trash. And then the other side, you know, the other direction of the pendulum is uh, denying that you fucked up. (laughs) Um, uh, Less than mature cancer is complete denial that you messed up because you can't look at it because if you do, you're going to feel it and then you're going to fall apart. So that's where vulnerability as a superpower coming to term or coming to light 
in the sign of cancer is very, very real. If we can be vulnerable with our own um, aspects of ourselves that, that we're not fans of, that honestly get initially formulated um, as kids in our own relationships with uh, the people who are trying to and supposed to nurture and nourish us. And then as we grow, we carry those kind of core wounds. It's called our inner child. And as we grow, uh, we're able to, life brings about again and again and again, opportunities to come back into contact with this inner child part of us and nourish and nurture that part of us that because we were raised by humans, didn't get nourished or nurtured um, the first time around. So we're, and that's called, you know, reparenting. Fun, fun times. But the it takes vulnerability to advance through that process. And when we are, when we fear vulnerability, when our bodies uh, conflate vulnerability with danger, then we're, we only get to the part where like we fuck up and, or like there's a a chink in the armor, there's a crack in the armor and we don't explore and realize that, you know, beyond that armor is our inner child and we engage with that inner child. We give it, give that child what they need and then we heal And then there is no need for the armor. There's no more need for that particular piece of armor. And we're able to, because we've given ourselves that love and that unconditional love, that unconditional self-acceptance, we're able to put the shell down, put the armor down, and practice vulnerability as a kind of a semi-permeable membrane. We don't have to be vulnerable, being vulnerable to healing opportunities to heal and to feel is not the same as being vulnerable to attack. Okay. So that's a huge Cancerian, uh, lesson as well. Um, fourth, I've mentioned the fourth house. So, uh, I speak as somebody who has all of my, um, traditional astrologers would call them malefics. I don't like that word, uh, but it's the only, it's the best one I have. Hold on. I've got to drink some water. Um, malefics being the planets, Saturn, Mars, and Pluto. These are the planets that, um, or Pluto's in my fifth house, but it's like right there at my IC. Um, these are all the planets that like bring through the, 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 the crunchy lessons. Like, Hey, we're going to teach you, uh, we're going to teach you, give you opportunities to evolve via limitation, via perceived limitation, via perceived challenges, via perceived restriction and frustration and stuff like that. They have a lot of lessons and they have a lot of styles, but that's, you know, the black and white of it, that's, that's what they do. And all of these are in my fourth house. And it's the fourth house is the house of, um, early childhood. It's the house of home. It's the house of, you know, maternal, uh, help and nurturance and nourishment. It's the, the, 
the part of our lives that uh, gr- that through which emotions uh, evolve, right, and become. It's a it's it's a a place of becoming, and it's a place that um, it's home. It's the home environment. It's wherever home you feel at home um, for yourself and planets in these, in this house, uh, if you have a lot of planets or if you have some planets in, in this, in this, in the fourth house, that is going to feel you're, you're going to live your incarnation needing home, you know, paying attention to where you feel safe, paying attention to what needs a boundary. God, if I could, if I could make setting and, um, you know, setting and keeping boundaries, healthy boundaries, a full-time job and like get paid for it. That would be great. Can, can somebody set that up for me? Um, setting boundaries, you know, identifying needs, setting boundaries to promote those needs (laughs) and then sustaining those boundaries in a healthy manner. Um, can you put that up on Indeed, please? Full-time job. I want, you know, pays, benefits, all of that. Cause I'm your girl. I'm, I'm your person to do that. <laughs> um, because what boundaries are, it's your house. It's your house. It's where you feel, where you are meant to feel safe. It's where you're meant to feel nourished. It's where you're meant to feel nurtured. And that's nobody else's job, but yours to build that house. You got to build your own house, right? Uh, so yeah, emotional self-sufficiency and emotional self-reliance, reliance meaning you got a strong house. You can rely that this shelter is actually going to shelter you and help you feel safe and protected, Okay. Um, that's where emotional self-reliance comes from. It's from like a healthy container. Okay. Um, and then the moon is it, the moon, like if you look at the, looking at the moon in the natal chart, it's the most personal thing. And like, we talk about Pluto, it's like, oh, it's your soul. And you're like, what the fuck is that? Bring that down to earth. I dare you. What? Uh, it's what I'm supposed to be, you know, it's my subconscious. It's not supposed to be conscious yet. Um, you know, Neptune, what? Periphery, mist, huh? Dream world? No, no idea. The moon is like, oh, it's your body. It's your body. It's your internal experience. Um, how that relates, uh, you know, how you relate to your emotions, uh, but it's very personal. It's our, the moon is our nearest satellite. It's right there. And she changes every two and a half days. Okay. And so she moves really fast. She's very, um, she's everything, everywhere, <laughs> all at once. Um, and that is, that is what being a cancer rising and having a full fourth, fourth house feels like. Uh, it's, it's every five minutes. It's a new feeling and, um, and creating a stable, safe space within all of that movement, within all of that water, right? There's nothing that you don't feel. 
uh, when you're talking about your moon and the moon's moon as ruler of cancer is, um, it can also show up your relationship with your mother, uh, much more in a much more detailed way than like looking at the sign of cancer in, uh, in your chart. So, um, that, that was cancer. All right. We got through two, we got through two more and I think we're at an hour and I'm losing my voice. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave it there. (laughs) Um, yeah, we covered Gemini, mutable air sign, Gemini and cardinal water sign, Cancer. We've ended the spring season this episode and began um, began the summer season, uh, northern hemispherically rather, uh, with Cancer this episode. And of course, if you have any questions, please, please, please uh, DM me on Instagram at Life. You can hop on the Patreon. And uh, you can become a patron uh, with no extra bells and whistles for $3 a month. Just if you want to support the show, don't have any interest in any more uh, episodes or hearing me talk anymore. If you'd just like to support the show, that's $3 a month. Um, But you also have the ability to submit uh, questions, which that reminds me, um, there's my ADD again. Let me finish that thought about the Patreon. Uh, the next tier, there's another tier on the Patreon that's $5 a month that does get you weekly transit talks. Uh, it's Astrology and Stuff Plus, um, available only to subscribing members on Patreon. I have not figured out how to enact my subscription services on Apple Podcasts yet. Um, and honestly, that's not a Simpreti issue. I'm really sure that that's an Apple issue. Uh, not very intuitive with this, this process, but that's okay. Uh, if you'd like to rate and review after you subscribe to the podcast, please do so. You can support the show by giving a five-star review, and um, I would really appreciate it. So let's get to the uh, Q&A, the Astro Q&A. I totally forgot to do this last um, last episode. So a great question from a listener slash friend is, what if I don't have any planets in a house in my, in my natal chart? Like if you look at your natal chart and you have, like for instance, I don't have any planets in the second and third houses of, um, of, my, of my chart, me personally. Um, I get that question a lot. Uh, does that mean that nothing's going on there? Does that mean that that doesn't, you know, doesn't show up for me? Absolutely not. We always have everything going on. <laughs> the fact that you have a house, the fact that we have this area in our chart means that this is an existing active dynamic area of our life. Okay. Um, the signs that rule these these places in your chart mean that, uh, what that means is that that particular energy, that particular vibe is the vibe that is moving through that particular area of your life. Um, for instance, if you have like a Gemini, uh, second house, Gemini rules your second house. 
uh, but you don't have anything in your second house. The themes of, and we just talked about Gemini, uh, the themes of Gemini, the flavors of Gemini, the vibe of Gemini is what's going to be flowing through your relationship with your second house themes, i.e. money, talents, self-worth, value, body, sensuality, um, you know, that, that those, all of those second house themes. Okay. It's going to be vibed tinged with a, a Gemini kind of information communication, um, mental mentation forward way of doing those things. Um, and then on even, I would argue even more, uh, feelable than, than even that is the transits. So, Yes, we have a natal chart. That natal chart is a particular point in time. It's a snapshot of a particular point in time when there were no planets moving through that part of the sky at that moment. We did not we did not stick around. You know, the world did not stay the same. So there are constantly and consistently new planetary um, interactions with that area of your life, and planetary bodies are the it's the embodiment of particular functions and themes and, and archetypes. Okay. So it's like, so the, look at the, the houses that you do have a one or a few or a bunch, a party, I call it in that house. That's just going to be a lot busier. It's not that, you know, this other house that's empty over here has nothing going on. It's just most of your energy is going to be moving through or that much of your energy is going to be moving through that particular area of your life. This is where your soul wanted to interact, wanted to evolve. It wanted to interact with this, these particular themes in this particular area of your life. Now the transits, um, we get opportunities to, they, they give us opportunities to engage with those quote unquote empty houses right? So for instance, um, I have, I have my pars in the 12th house, but I don't really have, I don't have anything else in my 12th house. Mars in Gemini and Mars retrograde in Gemini has been in my 12th house, um, since (whistles) September, I think. And then Mars retrograde happened October 30th to January 12th. And all of this was happening in my 12th house. And it was squaring my moon much of the time, my moon in Pisces. I got a great taste of what it's like to have 12th house placements. And my poor kids, they both have Saturn in their 12th house. Um, I don't say poor. It's just having anything in your 12th house feels like a lot. But having like a malefic like... Mars or Saturn in your 12th house. It's just always a lot. (laughs) And honestly, we all deal with a lot, quote unquote, a lot in our own ways. Everybody's got a lot going on. It doesn't mean that those of you with like, you go back and you look at your natal chart and you're like, oh shit, I have a Saturn in my 12th house. Um, It doesn't mean that you know your life is is shit and that it's super hard (laughs) automatically. It just means that you were meant to live out those particular planetary, you know, embody those planetary themes through that particular area of development, i.e. your house. Um, and 
I went through a Mars transiting my 12th house in Gemini, uh, still going through it. It's not going to be done for another like month plus. Um, and it's, it's just interesting, right? It's sensation that we, we don't really get, um, we don't really get a lot of sensation on. It's almost like you don't pay attention to the skin of your back until like you're getting a tattoo back there or like you have on a swimsuit or a bra or you have, um, you have like a, a pimple or something back there and you're like, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't realize how little I feel shit back there, but man, it's bringing a lot now because I'm getting this full back tattoo. Um, I'm really, my, all of my attention is being brought to this place. And isn't that interesting, right? I love our soul, no matter what sensation you're going through, no matter what transit you're going through to your soul, all sensation is good sensation. To the human, we could be, you know, having an orgasm or like crying in the bathtub for the fourth night in a row, right? That's, that's, where, that's where things get, we can apply our judgments to this feels good or this feels bad. But to the soul, it's just like, I'm just here to feel because I can't feel on my own. I need a body to feel. I need a natal chart to experience this particular mode of evolution. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you for asking. Please send me more questions. Again, uh, you can DM me at St. Life on Instagram. Uh, if you have my email already, shoot me an email. Um, I promise I'm going to restart the newsletter. It's not going to be, um, it's not going to be what it was before. Uh, that's what this podcast is for, honestly. Uh, but it is going to be a way to kind of interact and support uh, or kind of know what, what's going on with the podcast. A uh, little bit more promotion, a little bit less navel gazy. <laughs> um, and you can also hit me up on Patreon if you're there. So shoot me those questions. I want to answer one every week, okay? Thank you for being here. So that's it for this episode of Astrology and Stuff. You can come back each Wednesday for new episodes, and you also have a way to get weekly bonus episodes on my Patreon page. Just search Astrology and Stuff Podcast. Bonus episodes are weekly peeks into the planetary transits where we can get into the astrology of the week and how that may be affecting you in your neck of the woods. Each episode of Astrology and Stuff is written, recorded, edited, and mixed by me, Sampriti Ireland. The music you hear is an original work by Angel Wing. And again, thank you for being here. <laughs>